A question, though, of how we are made, who we are made to be in the image of God is one we are giving some time and attention to here at the beginning of a new year. And this morning I want us to go back into Genesis 1, one one last time this month, to think about what we have been created for. Over the past few years, you may have seen this image. I've shared it in a few different places uh, on a handful of different occasions while I've been preaching. But these, uh, this, this image seeks to represent what we at JCC feel like are core practices, core commitments of what it means uh, to follow the person of Jesus with our whole lives. As a church body, we want to be a people who are always growing in a life of worship. That's a a vertical component, how we know God and are known by him. We want to be a people who are growing horizontally in community with one another. And then we also want to be growing outwardly in our mission that God has given us together. We see that that Jesus models these three things in his own life. We see that he modeled it in the way that he called his disciples to live with one another. But even before the Gospels, I think we see these three practices, these three features in Genesis 1 and 2 as well. They're conveyed to us in what it means to be a person made in the image of God. For example, two weeks ago, we started out by saying that we have been made in the image and likeness of God so that we might worship him, right? We're created to be worshipers. Then last week, we said that even though we have been created in this this special and intimate relationship to know God as a worshiper, God has not invited us or asked us to do that alone. That in fact, part of what it means to be made in God's image is that we're created to be in community with each other, with other men and women who reflect that same image. So we're people created for worship. We're people created for community. But this morning I want to take one last uh, look at Genesis 1 and 2 here to ask more specifically, what is our mission as people made in God's image? What is it that people who bear the image of God are meant to do? Sometimes I find that a difficult question to answer, right? What am I meant to do? Why am I here? Just tell me what I'm supposed to do and I'll do it. It seems that some of God's creatures know what that mission is more instinctively than others. Let's see if I can move us ahead here. Author uh, Klein Snodgrass has written uh, a book on Christian identity. And he gives the example in that book of a cutting horse. If you're familiar with with horses, you may know uh, that a cutting horse is a horse that ranchers use in order to herd cattle. And, And the horse moves in and it separates out a single cattle from the herd so that the rancher can can lead that cattle wherever they need to. Now for most of the time, Most of the time, a a cutting horse is saddled by the rancher and is directed by him or her. But there are times when the saddle's taken off and the horse is sent out to pasture on its own. 
but it continues to do the same work. It continues instinctively to, to cut the herd, to, to herd these cattle on its own. And, and Snodgrass in his book writes, these horses seem to know who they are and they just do it, right? It's, it's almost reflexive. Unfortunately, not all of us experience that same sense of, of clarity in terms of what we're made to do. What is it that human beings are made for? Right? Is there something that, that God desires to turn us loose to pursue? Right? What is our mission as his people, both individually and then corporately together? Let me open us up to Genesis 1, starting in verse 26 again. Let me pray for us. I know these verses are familiar ones, but as we hear them, may we also hear what they have to say about how we have been created and what we've been created to do. Lord, I pray that you would cause your word to come to life for us now to challenge us now. Lord, I pray that your word would have the power to clarify for us, not just in idea, but even in desire and in practice and in action, what we have been created to do. Lord, may the words of my mouth as I teach, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, listen for the mission that these verses convey. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Figuring out what we're meant to do, who we're meant to be as Christians, is a bit of a sticky wicket. Been careful the last two weeks to, to suggest that identity in, in the way that the scriptures convey it is never something we construct. Identity isn't something we, we do or make. Identity is a gift given to us by our creator. But that doesn't mean that our identities don't also then contain a kind of job description. Right? Our identities also come from our creator with a set of, of responsibilities, with a mission that, that's inherent in how we've been made. And so at the moment of creation here in Genesis 1... I want to focus in on a few of the actions that Genesis 1 says image bearers are made to do. 
And in particular, a pair of Hebrew verbs that convey uh, that, that sense of mission to us. So the first of those verbs comes in verse 26, where it says that God, when he makes humanity, he makes them in his image, and he makes them in his image so that they might rule over the fish, the birds, the livestock, the wild animals. He says over every creature, every part of the earth. The Hebrew verb here, radah, suggests a, a gifted, a, a, a given authority to be over or to be above something else. And on one hand, that might make us a little uncomfortable, right? There, there's a, a sense of hierarchy here, a sense of power that's invested. And we all know that power can be used in different ways. What I think's Interesting to pay attention to here in verse 26, 27, 28, is that the authority that God gives to rule is tied to the fact that these are creatures made in his image. So this idea that image and authority are bound up with one another. We can think of some contemporary examples of how image does this. Uh, when I lived and taught in China you would see portraits of, of Mao Zedong uh, in important places. Right? There's, there's this famous huge painting over uh, the, the gate of heavenly peace in Tiananmen Square. You would see them in most classrooms. You would see them in uh, the homes of villagers and farmers in the countryside. Right? The image conveyed a sense of kingdom, of power, of, of empire. So too, in the ancient world, it was common for kings to be thought of as images of the gods. And because a king could only be in one place at any given time, a king would often set up temples or places of worship in the different corners of the empire. And in the temple, they would put an image of themselves. And it was a reminder to those in the kingdom about who was in charge, about what their desires were, right? Images conveyed the realities, the desires of the kingdom. Here in verse 26, we see the same sort of thinking at work, the same concept that image conveys authority, conveys the ability to rule. But when God chooses to invest his image in the ability to rule, he does so differently. He makes an important choice here. What we see is not God choosing a dictator to rule over creation. God doesn't even choose some sort of cultured group of aristocracy or elites to rule over his creation. In fact, what we see in verse 27 is that God chooses to make a community of persons to bear his image in creation. Right? It says that he creates both male and female. Right? A community of, of equal and interdependent partners. And he says from this togetherness, from this sense of knowing and being known by one another, God exhorts them to rada. Right, to go forth and to bear my image, to rule over creation as I would rule it, 
God is saying. Again, because we have seen the misuse of this command, because we've seen people take the, the image and the authority given them and abuse it or exploit it and treat creation, treat other persons poorly, destructively, Right? We may want to kind of keep or, or, or separate out this part of human identity and say, I'm not really interested in ruling over creation. Right? We're suspicious of this. But I don't know that we have a choice. If we take Genesis 1 at its word, we don't have a choice to say this is or isn't part of who we are. Right? We're created to go forth and to bear God's image in creation. And either we're going to do that thoughtfully, either we do that intentionally, either we do that in the way that God has intended for us to do it, or else we'll do it poorly. We'll do it incompetently. We'll do it neglectfully. So whether or not we think of ourselves as rulers or as leaders or as image bearers on behalf of God's kingdom in creation, right? wherever we go, whatever we do, we, we are doing this nevertheless. And so it's important for us to come back then to this passage and ask, well, how then does God bear his image in creation? How does God rule over his kingdom? How does God think about the power that he possesses and has given to us? And it's there that we see in verse 28 that God links the command to rada, to rule over, with a second command that's actually a blessing. It's the command to para, or to be fruitful. Look at verse 28. God comes to the community of image bearers there in the garden, to the man and the woman together, and he imparts this blessing to them. As a mission. He says, now be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. What does God have in mind here? What does it mean to be fruitful? Well, of course, there's at least probably an initial sense that the fruitfulness in view here is to imitate God in the way that he creates things. God is the creator of new life, so we imitate him by being creators of life, right? Becoming fruitful by reproducing, right? There are a handful of families in our JCC community who are being fruitful in this way right now. I think there are four children that I know of on the way um, sometime this year. But as philosopher James K.A. Smith points out that while reproducing physically is one way of being fruitful, we should also understand this command here more broadly in the sense that because God is creative, because God has made, we are also made then to be makers like him. It's part of, of the mandate here to be fruitful. And we can think about that in light of everything that's happened before this in Genesis 1. Right? What is Genesis chapter 1 but an accounting of God making, God creating, God building, God fashioning? Right? And so for, for five and a half into, into day six, 
God is doing all of this good work, and then suddenly he now creates male and female in his image, in his own likeness. And he begins to hand over the work of, of making and creation to us now in this world. Right? It's like he's handing over the keys to the workshop. To go on leading and creating and cultivating and bringing fruitfulness into the world God has made. I love this quote from uh, uh, an artist named Mako Fujimura. He's a Japanese-American. Uh, and the work he does is a, a profound meditation on his Christian identity. But he says this. He says, God doesn't need us. And yet God creates out of love and out of an abundance. He sends us into the world full of possibility. And we are made to be makers, made to be fruitful. I don't know how you imagine paradise, a paradise like Eden, right? Maybe some of you imagine a beach where you can kick up your heels and and watch the waves come in and do almost nothing in paradise. Maybe the postmodern imagination thinks of paradise like an overstuffed couch with a big screen TV and a Netflix account to stream your way passively through eternity. But the scriptures think about paradise. They talk about Eden as this place that is full of physicality, right? It's full of productivity. And Eden is a place of work. In fact, Genesis 2 says that the Lord God took Adam, took the first human, and he put, them, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it, to steward it. The idea, though, here in Genesis 2 goes beyond just stewardship. What God isn't asking is for God to for God, for Adam to keep the garden just like he found it. The job isn't go in and make sure everything stays the same from this day forth, Adam. In fact, the command is God inviting Adam to go into the garden, to go out into the world, to cultivate it, to fill it with, with evidences of what it means to work alongside God and his spirit, to be an image bearer in the world. Practice what author Andy Crouch has called flourishing. And Crouch, in his book, Culture Making, says, Flourishing happens when we spend our power and our energy and resources so that creation becomes more enriched, more useful, more beautiful, more capacious. Flourishing calls for us to put our hard work, our sacrifice, our creativity into the life we live as image bearers. In the same book, uh, he relays the story of, I think it's an uncle or grandparent of his who uh, lived in the countryside as a farmer. And he, he tells the joke of, of a city slicker who comes to the countryside to visit one day. And the man looks out over the fields, this beautiful farm, and as he looks at the farm, he says in awe, wow, isn't God's creation beautiful? And the farmer looks back skeptically at the man and he says, well, you should have seen it when God had it all to himself. 
right? Meaning that it didn't just get this way on its own, right? It takes hard work. It takes vision. It takes sacrifice for creation to be fruitful in particular ways. And so to live into our mission to be fruitful, to para, as Genesis 1.28 says, right? We don't just sit back and wait for fruitfulness to come. God has called us to be cultivators with him. One of the places that, that I've been thinking about this, the places I think we need to apply this thinking more specifically right now, is, is in the moment we find ourselves in. Right? We've, we've come through a year where most of our culture, most of our world, its habits, its structures, its relationships have been radically sort of uprooted, tested, strained. There's not a lot of flourishing going on in our world at this particular moment. And the same would be true within the, the life of our local church families as well, right? There, there's a call for us to be fruitful, to bear the image of God out into creation, to steward it, to cultivate who we are as a people. So coming out of this past year, there's, I think, an, a greater need, an increasing need for us to be image bearers who embrace our creative mission. Right, to build up new things, to create new structures, new ways of living and being together in community, being out in our world so that we carry and we convey the image of God who is a creator, right, who causes flourishing to happen. And so as we think about the year ahead, I wonder what would it look like for us to conceive of, to think about our mission as a church? Like, like a farmer thinks about their land, right? Like God thinks about the garden there in Genesis 1. That this is a place we're called to care for. We're called to go out and extend God's image into and over and to give ourselves, our resources, our time away into it, to spend ourselves into it so that it might flourish. So that with God's help, new and beautiful things grow out of this soil. So we move into a, a time here at the end of our service, a, a time to reflect and to pray. I want to invite uh, Brian and Anna to come up again. But as you listen and as you pray with those wherever you're gathered this morning, I want you to think about two places of application. Number one being, where would God maybe be asking you to rada in a new way? Where is he inviting you to carry his image? Or maybe just to realize that you're meant to be carrying his image in that place that you're already in. Right? So that you could extend his authority, his love, his humility, his life to the world. And as you think about who or in what places he's calling you to do that. But I also want you to pray about how you would be fruitful there. Right? What has God made you specifically to do? How has he made you particularly fruitful? What is it that, that you do, a gift that you exercise that causes the flourishing of those around you that God also loves?
As you think about those things, let's, let's take a few moments to reflect and then to pray for one another as we, as we do that. Lord, would you, as we turn our imaginations, our hearts, our desires to you in prayer, would you cultivate a fruitfulness here in this particular church body, in our particular homes, our particular vocations? Lord, I pray that you would be equipping and cultivating and causing um, particular people in this body to be fruitful in the area of worship. To help lead us and grow us and, and demonstrate in your image what it looks like to walk with you in new ways, to praise you in new ways, to orient our lives around our relationship with you, with new practices. Or would you make us fruitful in worship? Lord, I pray that you would make us a church that is fruitful in community in new and increasing ways in this year. Lord, would you empower those who do the work of, of gathering together, of inviting those who do not feel invited or included, of being hospitable, sharing life in increasing measure with one another so that we might be able to speak words of blessing. We might be able to see in one another the image of God and call it good. We might be able to challenge one another in areas where we need to keep cultivating and growing. Lord, would you bless us and make us fruitful in community. Lord, finally, would you make us fruitful in mission? Lord, would you make us a people who do not exist for ourselves? We don't spend our resources for ourselves. Lord, that we increasingly would have an abundance to give away, to share, to rejoice in, in including others, and in going out into the earth you've made and discovering new fruitfulness. Lord, would you make us creative in mission? We pray these things in the name of our God, who is Father, Son, and Spirit.